Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about co-DMing. Today we're talking to Matt Baker and Roz Young. How's it going? It's going good. pretty good. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having us. It's really exciting uh, to be here and chatting about D&D. Yeah, thanks for coming out. So uh, first off, why don't you guys tell us a bit about yourselves, how long you've each been playing tabletop and running and all that kind of stuff. I'll let you start. Okay. Um, we're both relatively new. I played my first game of D&D probably in my undergrad, which would have been... You don't have to uh, say. It's okay. <laughs> at least 15 years ago now. And I had a fantastic time. I played a couple games. A coworker organized them for a bunch of us that had never tried it, but were really interested. And unfortunately, I was kind of the only one. There was like one other guy that took to it. And so nothing ever formed after. And I kind of went the next... 12 years with no D&D, just always being like, that one time I played it, it was so awesome. I'd love to play more if I ever found people. And then we came out here and found a whole bunch of people. You know, I was really excited to try it again. Ruz, had you tried it at all before? Yeah, a little bit. I had some friends who played in high school, and we dabbled, and then we all went our separate ways, and then in my undergrad, there was nobody really interested in that kind of... I don't know, whatever. The chemists weren't into it. That's fine. So we, uh... When we, Matt and I came out here for film, we just met so many other people who are storytellers, and they're naturally really into Dungeons and & Dragons, and so we met up with some other people who were starting up another game, and then it becomes the waiting for a DM to say, I have space at a table, or, or something starting up, and we're just like, anybody, you know, let us know, we're really in, we're, we'll show up with costumes and snacks, and, and then we got our first call from someone being like, okay, we're ready, we're going to play it. Now I never look back, so it's great. Yeah, Roz played like one game and was like, "All right, let's buy the books. I want a DM. Like, <laughs> I want to run one of these." Like, and uh, so we just sort of jumped right into it. It started with us individually DMing. Um, Roz was kind of the first one to want to do it, and then I sort of did a little campaign for her, like just a one-on-one thing, and it eventually opened up into a bunch of other people wanted to try. The guy that DMs the campaign we'd been doing wanted to just play, so we were like, well, I'll come in at ours. And that's uh, that's He's the one that those. involves Joe, um, which is how we yeah. met you guys. Yeah. So that just kind of formed, and it's a bit of a bigger group. And we wanted to try doing it in a world that we'd created sort of for D&D and sort of for writing. So we have a couple novels and short stories and stuff that we're working on in the same world, and D&D is kind of our chance to really, like expand and think about that world and some of the lore and fun um and that's kind of why we decided to start working together was because we were doing all the word world building together anyways and it was like well one of us is gonna kind of know a bunch of stuff so why don't we just both dm it and well we had a group of people who were people like rudy and joe who were running their own campaigns and not getting enough time play and we had been players for them before and we were like okay we'll host you this time and then we had a bunch of people who were brand new to the game and we were going to have this big mix and originally we were closing down a trivia night group it was a huge group of people and we were all like well instead of wednesday night trivia let's all play dungeons and dragons 
And then we thought that we would have a huge group, but everybody would come if they could make it. And then, of course, in classic D&D style, everybody was having such a blast and they want to know the story next week. So everyone comes all the time. So there's almost eight players. Wow. Yeah. And eight, so- eight players and virtually always at least seven of them show up. I have enough yeah. problems running a game with five people. <laughs> it's It can be a challenge, but and that's where it helps having two of us. I think it, it helps with managing a larger number of people. Um, and I'm sure when we get into talking a bit about what we do and how we make it happen, some of the strategies that we're using, which makes it a lot easier because we're also a couple. So when we're at home, we can spend the time doing our prep together, but then it's also, oh, I had this great idea while you're making dinner or whatever. So you have like a, oh, that's really useful, a built-in person who's around who you can bump ideas off of without ruining the story for them if they're one of your players. Yeah, which is why we started doing it together, because it was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to DM a game that you're playing in for all these other people and not ruin the surprises for you, because I'm just going to get excited and want to talk. So we were like... It's really hard in the group that I DM where Matt is one of the key players who's there all the time and I know something really exciting is coming up or the fact they didn't go out that one door at that manor and I'm really sad because there was something cool in the backyard and you guys never saw it but I can't really tell you because then next week how are you not going to be like guys we should go back to that house right so now we can have fun and gossip and get all excited and the only thing we have to be quiet about it is on our Discord with the group, so we don't give anything away. They're super suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw. Uh, they took over. They took over our uh, tweet chain there. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are some of the benefits of, of when you share all of the DM duties? It doesn't really split the workload in half because we sort of divide it up a little bit more. You take this portion, but at least in in that sense, you're not doing all that uh, heavy lifting all by yourself. Which, not that it, I think, if you DM, it's because you love it and. You know, you try not to let it feel like a burden, but sometimes you do get into a zone where your life is busy or maybe you're just not feeling it that week, but you have players coming and you want to do the best you can for them, so you can't really give up. But when there's two people, you can at least, I can, if I'm having a really busy week, I can tell Matt, I really need you to build out this part of the town that I said I was going to do. And can you just, can you name 30 people? I just don't have that (laughs) energy right now. Yeah. And then if Matt's doing something else and, you know, he needs, he needs me to spend some time just... Can you just print all this stuff and prep? I'm on it. Yeah, I think so far all the DMs that we've talked to, they all seem to be the kind of people, like, and I'm this way as well, where like I'll spend hours and hours and hours doing prep because I'm just having so much fun doing it and figuring out world building and that kind of stuff. And it is a lot of fun and I really enjoy doing it. But yeah, sometimes they're like work has just been super busy all week and I just don't feel like doing anything on the weekend. So I can see where that would definitely be a huge benefit where I could just be like, hey, person who's helping, can you do some stuff? (laughs) Yeah. And we kind of divide it. It's sort of worked out mostly because Roz works full time and is very busy and I work part time at home and do our writing and creative stuff. So I have a little more free time for the world building um, or at least more time when my brain's just spiraling on that. So it sort of fell to me to take care of a lot of more of the narrative stuff, just because I'm the one that has the free time to sit and think about it. Um, and Roz runs a lot of the combat during the actual game. I have a lot of homework to do that's just, this spellcaster has this set of spells, and what are they going to be doing? And then we, we spend a lot of time together 
as we get better as DMs and our players get more confident, we're really working all together to really expand our role play and get people going to interact as in character with each other, but also with the NPCs. And we really enjoy that too. And when there's two of us, we can play off of each other. We like to each play an NPC. Yeah. We often have, they run into pairs of people a lot because there's two of us. So it's just natural, but then they can be fighting about something. Yeah. I think that's where the biggest benefit to co-DMing is, is when it comes to the role-playing part, because now you have two people role-playing that know everything that's going on that can be kind of directing and playing off of each other and making sure that if something needs to get brought up, it can be, you know, if, uh, which is all stuff you can do on your own. You can just switch to another NPC that's there, but it's, there's something about it being two people actually playing off each other that uh, I think uh, really gels in those moments. And it's probably got to help as well when you've got seven or eight players, when there's two people playing NPCs, you can like take some time. People can split up a little bit and like, one can talk to four, the other one can talk to the other four, and you can kind of do a little bit more of, like, getting information to your players without having to worry about, like... Because if it was just me talking to, oh my god, eight people, it would have to be like, okay, I'm going to talk to all of you for 30 minutes as one NPC, then 30 minutes as another NPC, and <laughs> then the session's over. Yeah. We, we haven't had to do it much yet, but I'm really excited for sometime, you know, splitting the party and being able to just take them into two different rooms and keep running it separately. It's going to take an incredible amount of planning on our part to like not be run stuff when we're not looking at each other, but uh, I think that someday I want to work that into it where we have to kind of really separate them for a substantial amount of time, and they can be having two parallel adventures where they're not having to wait for the other group to finish their, um, their portion. They're really... This large group that we play with are fun in that they can't help but obviously listen to something if they're not in the room. You, they're all, everybody's always listening, but they're really good about they look at each other and someone will respond and be like, "Wait, I don't know that. I don't know that. Never mind." Ah. And and they have fun with that too because then later they're waiting to see if someone tells them the information that they think that that person should share, and then often they don't. <laughs> yes. That's how they do. Just have somebody <laughs> staring at another player across the room is like. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're fun that way. I uh, I love players who are willing to play along with that, or willing to correct themselves when they're like, wait, no, wait, no, 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 never mind, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so much, it's more fun to run with them than someone who's like, saying, spending all this stuff that happened to somebody else yeah. across town. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts of the game when people really embrace that role-playing side and are like, nope, I don't care that... I know this information, the character doesn't, and so I'm going to do the quote-unquote wrong thing because, well, that's just it. And I feel like that's when it's role-playing. That's when the kind of magic happens to me, when people are forget themselves and are just like, well, this is, this is what people know, this is what, uh, this is what this person would do, and it's not always great. <laughs> Uh, so uh, we've talked a bit about how you split up the work and the benefits and uh, how you, what you do before and during a session. So uh, are there any downsides to running with another person? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it can be pretty difficult at times. Um, and most of that comes with 
when your players do something surprising. Um, when it's only you running, you can change anything you want at any moment because no one else knows, but it's hard to commu- make those changes when you somehow have to communicate it to somebody else without anyone seeing sitting at the same table as everybody else. I believe um, I've heard one of our players giggle and then look at the rest of their team and say, Mom and Dad are fighting! <laughs> <laughs> Because we are, you know, someone changes something up, so you react and do something, and the other person's like, you just ruined my whole, what I was supposed to do for the next 30 minutes! God damn it! So it requires, we've discovered a lot of talking through the scenarios and prep beforehand that we don't necessarily do as much when we're DMing our own things, because you're like, well, it's just, I'm gonna fly, and it's gonna change, but uh, you've gotta just try and come up with a lot more things that people could come up with. So how, well, if this happens, how are we going to deal with it? And because you can't come up with anything they're going to, you know, we come up with five possible scenarios. And of course they don't do any of them. Yeah. You come up Um, with A, B and C and they come up with X, Y, Z. Yeah. Which is when it's most fun. So it's about trying to get to balance what we've really had to work at is uh, it all comes down to the role play and really making sure that all the characters that we know their motivations, you know, we know why they're doing what they're doing, what they want from things so that they just are who they are and the players do what they're going to do. And we have a sense of how the characters will react and that's going to take it in what direction, you know, like are these players, if this all goes to hell, are these two guys that are supposed to be bosses, are they going to sit there and, like, TPK if they want? Or do they have ulterior motives that'll make them pull back and, like, bribe? But, which is a change you just make on the fly by yourself. You'd be like, okay, this is not going as well as I thought it would. This person isn't going to kill you, necessarily. Now they've got some other plan that they want you for, and you're subjected. But that's hard to change when you got to communicate. So you got to know your characters and... What would those characters do if if it goes this way or that way? Do they really want to kill those people, or do they have other things that they might want that will affect or characters say what they want? Key information that we want them to maybe be able to figure out, and then there's information that we know they they need to sort of move on to the next step because we have a pretty linear narrative on the go with them. It's an adventure that they started out tracking in this whole werewolf and cultist down the lines, and they recently met. Potentially this weird dwarf that is an offshoot, maybe. We won't say too much in case they listen in. But So there's that key information that we, we decide ahead of time. We could give out this. If it goes really well for them, maybe they learn this. And if they don't learn any of that stuff, they just have to take away this piece to get on to the next step. And if we figure that out ahead of time, we're usually okay. But there are those moments where Matt's like, that guy's going to run. And I'm like, and he throws a fireball. And then we look at each other being like, ooh, that... It's not what the other person was intending at all. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. So it's going it, be crazy. When it comes to that kind of like having to figure stuff out on the fly, like how much of it is stuff happening in, in conversations where like one of you decides in the heat of the moment, like, oh no, this character needs to say this thing. We had planned to say A or B, but they really need to say D. And how many times do you find that like you have to like kind of take a second and sort it out right there at the table? How many times can you just wait until after? There's a ha- notepad between us, so we do... Yeah. If you really have to give a note, 
we keep a notepad behind the screen so that we can yeah. do emergency stuff. And that's mostly during combat when there's not as much role playing going on. So a character can't just say a thing that leads in the direction it needs to go. We run into very few problems in terms of story things or directing things or conflicts between us when we're role playing the characters because you just embrace the whole improv yes and thing we hear about and you just go with it and it works. But in combat, you don't have that freedom to just say kind of what you need to say. And that's where it gets a little more tense. And you gotta, we just sort of have to, that's why we need to know what are the ultimate goals of people? Because Roz is just gonna have to make those decisions in the moment. And if I can see something coming that might be a problem later, I'll have time to write it down. But you don't really have time to be like, do this right now. Um, you just gotta trust that you're, the, the person knows. Sometimes we what to do, correct right? each other or we decide something in the moment and they're really patient with the fact that we'll just be like, just give us a second, we're like, blah, 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 blah. And then, yeah. and then they're, they're just watching us have a little thing and then usually they amuse themselves, they get into some little yeah. spat between them. Or... There's, there's only been once or twice where we've had to just stop and be like, okay, no, we got to figure out this because it's going to actually <laughs> be a problem. Like, we got to break the magic here. And... <laughs> We have a That was more a, at the beginning. We've gotten yeah, better learning. at learning how to do our planning so that we don't need to do that in front of people. And we try to divvy up the ways. Matt tells most of the what you see, what the town is like. He gives you all all those story details and the place and the smells. And then usually he'll give me he'll say, and this person walks by and I'll role play like a character in the background or something who can tell them, Hey, go to this go see the blacksmith or whatever but that way we don't speak over each other too much in terms of those details about what they're seeing. And then when we get into combat and I'm rolling and playing those characters or, or like we tell the story of what happened, you know, as they're doing it, we try not to do you miss, you know, we make it more, ex- try to make it more exciting. You know, you're, you're that sweet armor that you pulled off that dead body, throw the arrow just glances right yeah. off and you or know, like steal yeah. yourself. Not that you missed. You did an awesome hit. They were just that much better this time, right? Like you're still awesome. You're not just, like, swinging and missing at this person, but they're deflecting really well so that when you do get the hit... And if we notice that one the other person is struggling, that's when that person can jump in. So if I'm sitting there and I've got, like, one of our last ones, a whole bunch of bullywugs, and there's so many of them, and I'm rolling for all these things, and i got a bunch of stuff happening, and I'm dealing with dice, and it would be really boring, and I don't have a moment to, like, get up... Matt can describe something silly or crazy or cool that happens or lead them into a discussion. And one of the ways we've done that is we have an NPC who travels with them all the time. So one of us can just jump in and play her. So when the other person is struggling or needing to do something, Destine, who's this barmaid rogue they've taken along with them, she can ask someone a question or, you know, get involved in something that makes it so we can sort of keep things moving while the other person has to sit and figure out some stuff, some of that less sexy magic behind the screen. It's good for NPC combat too, because instead of having to run all of the NPCs by yourself, I can take a couple of the larger ones and like role play them, which I like because honestly I do. My preference is probably to be a player. Um, I love DMing, but mostly I love world building and and getting to do the narration. So this works great for, for me, but I love the, the role playing of being a character and getting to just dive into a personality. So it's fun to get to just take over a character and just be that one person for combat, even though I'm DMing. (laughs) <laughs> Rather than having to, like, do a bunch of people at once, we can just be, like, handle all the baddies, and then one person can just be the boss. 
when you guys time. run your own combat, do you find that you you find it do you find it difficult as yourself as one person, and you end up with a, a lot of people that they're fighting or monsters, creatures, whatever? Not really. Uh, I tend to use a site called RPG Tinker to generate. I guess champions is the best name for them. Like, so they're not just fighting a bunch of goblins and a and a hobgoblin. They're fighting, you know, a couple of goblins, a couple of hobgoblins, and then like this hobgoblin who's like got some barbarian skills or something like that. So it gives the the combat usually somebody that the, the, the players can focus on being like, that's the important one that we've got to go after. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple of times so far that I've had a few combats where it's been with like a big NPC that they've been trying to track down or somebody that's that's wronged them or stuff like that, like role-playing moments. And when I know that one of those is coming up, I tend to have just like... Okay, here's a bunch of generic skeletons and the bad guy that you're wanting to, like, who's going to taunt you so that I don't have to worry about, like, okay, there's this group of people and this group of people and this group of people, and they're all going to have crazy things going on. I try to focus on just, like, the one interesting thing that they're fighting, person, creature, whatever, and then some backup stuff just to, you know, make it so that the combat isn't just one big thing with a lot of HP that they're slowly whittling down, but Mm -hmm. somebody or a creature who's a little bit more... I usually try to make them more nimble because I've got two barbarians in my party. So I've got one that's like the crazy (laughs) tank who takes half damage from everything except force damage because he took that totem, which is super fun sometimes. Uh, And then the other one takes less damage and he's a fighter barbarian. So I usually try to have other things going on so that, you know, I can use the interesting NPC to lure the fighter and the barbarian out so that the other things can fly and can still... Make the other players feel like they're still part of the battle, they're still threatened, and but they're, everybody's still interacting with that NPC in some way. I do find it difficult, especially if I'm running smaller combats that don't necessarily have a boss monster or a leader or something like that. It's just, I tend just not to do it anymore, where you just throw a bunch of enemies at them. It's just so much bookkeeping. And it's, it's also boring for the players if I put them all on the same initiative and I'm sitting there rolling, moving 10 minis for the zombies and then rolling attacks for all of them and on and on and on. So at this point, I've learned to just try and make it smaller or, you know, make some of the minions with only one hit point and not have to worry about it. Or just try to make more fights where there is that one kind of more interesting creature. And RPG Tinker is great for that. I, yeah. You recommended it, it to me and it essentially makes... It basically takes some of the class kind of features you would find in standard class type archetypes. And, like, you can ramp up the difficulty and you can set what their stats would be like ahead of time. And it just randomly awesome. generates it. Yeah, yeah. and I think I, I do tend to... Like, as the, my players, they started out at level 5, and they're almost level 10 now. And I think, and we've been playing for almost two years, and I think over time, I've moved towards smaller battles just because it's more interesting. Like, I've had a couple of fights where there have been 10 or 15 bad guys, and we used to play around a table, this table, with the battle mat and everything. But now that we're on roll 20, I just, I don't think I could handle, like, even though it's easier to handle fights with more things in them on roll 20, it's just a lot. <laughs> and that's where I think the benefit of two of us, because we've got seven players. So you don't really have a choice except to have big battles, because with seven of them, you know, the way it worked, like, they're going to get so many turns on a bad guy that it, he to have enough uh, challenge rating to survive long enough to be interesting. 
they have a good chance of, like, one-shot killing people and stuff. So, I mean, we can alter that, but it tends to mean we we do use a lot more minions and stuff that keep around to just make sure that something cool actually has a chance to happen. And, like, the seven people don't just, like, wail on the one guy and yeah. he's gone and around. Like. <laughs> something that I've done to even up the action economy is uh, I've started playing around with legendary actions, so have a one of the things that they just fought recently was this evil cleric but i gave him some legendary action so that he could still be doing stuff at the end of players turns so that it didn't feel like i was waiting for all five of my players to finish doing something before the cleric got to do one thing and i found that that helps quite a bit with making the combats just more interesting because like there was an uh, an assassin that they were playing against jesus almost like a year ago now um <laughs> where they the assassin had a couple legendary actions so she could be moving around and using hide and stuff like that and i found the legendary actions don't have to be you know like dragon style like yeah they get an extra attack like it can be something as simple as they get to move again or they get to use like a hide or something like that or they can throw a a trap down or like a throw a bomb or a single crossbow bolt or something like that just a little something to make it so that the players have to be a little bit on edge because they don't know like because I don't think the players quite understand that like how legendary actions work, but you know, if I've got a creature that has like three different things they can do as legendary actions, but they know that they can it can only happen at the end of one of their turns, so they don't know when I'm going to do it. They just have to be aware that like they can't just say like, okay, you hit him and then 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 he'll get to do something we have to worry about. Like, no, at the end of each one of our turns, we have to be worried that he might suddenly move or mm-hmm. throw a bomb at one of us. Yeah, and we do that sort of thing for, um, especially for NPCs that they're going to interact with a bunch before they do things. Um, but uh, we worry that, you know, legendary actions are only legendary when not everyone can do them. And so we end up we'll having to have a bunch <laughs> of fights where, well, it's just going to have to be numbers because there's seven of you and you can't have legendary actions for everyone you meet or you won't feel legendary anymore. And what we try to do too is we, concern, we've been mixing, we mix up the types of people they're facing and so that everybody has, or a lot of them, well, we try to make it different all the time, but we've had them face, you know, a troll with some guys and then there were uh, rangers attacking them at the same time and there's uh, geography problems, you know, so there's like, they were on the rapids then and... We actually, we lost a player that day. So, I mean, we're, we're all learning. Um, and that was a really interesting experience as well, because I think... It felt kind of bad. It was like her first, fourth session playing D&D ever, and like her character died. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> well... A lo- lot of things went wrong, like, she rolled a one on like all her death saving throws, and then the two crazy. people that like had chance to resurrect, like just everyone was botching everything. It was oh man, Joe told me this story. Yeah, yeah. she's playing. That's the game he plays, Hummingbird, yeah. in, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I it was just like oh, I feel so bad. I had a player <laughs> die recently, right at the point because she had talked to me a little while, like a few sessions before, because she's playing an elf and she wanted to become. Uh, a Navarial elf. And I'm like, okay, I can figure something out. And at the place where, had she been able to drink from a fountain, it would have started the process for her to turn into a Navarial elf. She died. (laughs) It was, yeah, it kind of sucked. But um, going back to the legendary action (laughs) things, I actually, um, I found a book on uh, drive-thru RPG. It's called Not-So-Legendary Actions. And that's where I got a bunch of the stuff from. And and it really is just like stuff like 
being able to move because in the monster manual most of the legendary actions yeah they're legendary like you know a dragon getting to like flap its wings and do some damage or use its tail um and i think i don't i don't think there's many creatures that have legendary actions and yeah when i think legendary actions stuff like that like they get to attack again with this big thing yeah but being able to just move or like put up a shield is something that can has thrown my players in a way that's been enjoyable I like that idea a lot, the not-so-legendary yeah. actions. Even for some of the spellcasters to do something where they're just they're invisible suddenly would be amazing. I think that would be really challenging for our group, especially because everybody is so... Uh, there's a monk that they send in, and he just kicks the literal <laughs> snot out of everything, and everybody else just cleans up yeah. most of the time. It's sort of their, their go-to, so we really often try to find ways that make it so that he's not as effective all the time. It's just there. Just send him in. He's super drunk anyway. <laughs> oh no! We, we knew they were get- monk. Yeah, those guys are nightmares. <laughs> we, we knew they were going to do that in a recent one, so he like came in. He's for you know he's been doing that all through the camp. Gets up to the main guy that they think is just a bullywug leader that is secretly a warlock of the Archfey and or no warlock of the Fiend, and so pummels him and it's like yeah, and then he just like dink one touch unconscious, and then all the players are just like. What? <laughs> like, a hush falls. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, now let's start this fight. Like, yeah. One of the things that I've also enjoyed when it comes to trying to make the fights more interesting is using constructs, I guess is, I guess is the best term. Like, in the fight they had against the cleric, he had, in his evil lair, basically, he had a bunch of crystals that had an aura around them. I can't remember what the aura did, but if players moved into it, they, I think they at least lost some movement if they failed to save. Um, but the crystals could, uh, on the crystals' turn, could either do a small, like, a small attack. It was a ranged spell attack. I think it was basically magic missile, just beefed up a tiny little bit. Mm-hmm. Or they could heal the, the cleric. And there was a whole bunch of them spread throughout the room, so... They're trying to, like, in this dark room where he's cast this magical darkness, they're trying to find him, deal with these crystals, and uh, also save some trapped villagers. So it turned out to be pretty interesting. Dang, that sounds cool. Yeah. It's like the classic JRPG thing. Like in uh, that Chrono Trigger fight against the robot early on, and it has the two bots that they're attacking or healing. Yeah, it's it's a, like, tried-and-true mechanic across various types of games that works really well. And as I think the first time <laughs> somebody transport I've, making it into DD. I've never played Chrono Trigger. You should, it's very good. <laughs> um, I haven't either, but I, it is definitely a mechanic you come across. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's, and, it's a super yeah. common one, especially in like Super Nintendo era JRPGs. Yeah. Like. It's something that I'm planning to use a couple other ways. What can be also interesting is like I've got. There's a battle coming up uh, against. Well, not soon, but it's. I'm not going to say, trying to be very vague, but also pretty specific about this. I don't know how many of my players listen to this, but basically (laughs) there's... players. (laughs) But there's basically going to be a fight with some constructs that have been infected, I guess is the best word. So, like, if they destroy them, it's good for the fight, but not so good afterwards. But if they don't disinfect them, then, like, it's going to keep aiding the bad guy. So it's going to be an interesting problem for them to solve in the middle of combat another i think interesting thing to look into for this thing is um i think in the books only dragons get these but you can obviously take it as layer actions where if a boss is fighting on his home turf he's set up something to happen like traps go off that he can control or something like that that are you know similar to legendary actions 
or something like that, but have can have a bigger effect or can change the battlefield. In a... mm-hmm. I can't remember which book it is. I think it's it's not Xanathar's Guide. It's the one that's got extra stuff for witches and uh, Volo. 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 Yeah. yeah, they've in there they add layer actions to witches and yeah, the hags have layer actions. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which gave gave we, me a bunch of ideas. If our players aren't listening, we they they might be coming up again. I love the hags so point, much. Uh, yeah. I've got them in, in the that other future. campaign as well that where you guys are never going to get to because it, those players have just it's one of those sad things that have fallen to the wayside as everyone's gotten very busy but you know there's this campaign just sitting there with all my notes that <laughs> no one will ever will ever know that awesome thing about yeah. that bloody bag that they keep throwing heads into <laughs> <laughs> remember yeah. that that has to do with a hag <laughs> oh man <laughs> that does sound very hag like what the uh, the Volos guide though the thing on hags gave me a bunch of ideas because my players did end up having to go and deal with a oh, what's it called when there's a coven that's what it is yeah, they had to go and deal with a coven of hags but it was three different types of hags yes. and each of them had their own layer with stuff in it and it was it was fun it was an interesting thing that yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to do something with hags because they're like just collecting things. You just get to like fill it with random artifacts and like they can have whatever monster. Like that's just what they're like. You know, you and when you're to... playing Witcher and you're getting all inspired by that kind of like creepy things out in the forest. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing I like about uh, hags is that they can be something that's bad because they're you know tend to be evil fey creatures but they can also help the players out it just means like the thing i did with the hags was that they uh the first one they ran into offered to to tell their their fortunes but they had to give up something so it was either a powerful magical item or i think i've told this before on the podcast but basically i had written out a bunch of cards and on the front it was like uh, your last breath or a moment of happiness or stuff like that and on the back it would tell them how many uh, fortunes they got and I had arranged them from like top to bottom. Like the top ones, you get one fortune, and the bottom, like the most expensive one, was they got like four or five fortunes. And what it turned out was that like stuff like your last breath meant that you only get two death saving throws. So like stuff like you're giving up something to a hag for like potentially getting really good information about about the story and what's going on. But you're dealing with a hag, so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for the hags. Can't give anything away because it's 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 still to come in the things. But uh, in a game that my friend Anne ran, she was she was on the podcast before. She she ran a hag who we didn't know was a hag, but who would (laughs) give us boons and helpful things that always had terrible consequences. (laughs) Uh, Like I think she gave us what was essentially a potion of resurrection. But like you experienced, you know, dying and going through hell before you came back to life. And stuff like that. Or, you know, it always had a cost. And yes. Yeah. Uh, that's actually a really good way to make a hag an NPC without necessarily making them uh, just a com- a combatant. Yeah. yeah. I like it when the players... Because I feel like they really like that kind of stuff, too. And we, we do as players. All of us, I assume. So, of course, our players do. We had a fight where cause we had this werewolf and just were-creatures going through this campaign right now. And the dragonborn got a really nasty bite and was werewolf cursed for a little bit and so joe's character hummingbird is like okay well if we have a long rest i can cure it but they got really invested in it and they were like should we maybe we should just let her be a werewolf and she's like fur is coming in with all of her dragon scale stuff and you know i don't know they were really into it for a little bit there we were 
not sure if there's some way we're going to incorporate this. Like, even if they do cure it, is there some, like, lingering thing that happens that she just gets left with? Fleas? I don't know, something? Because she was, they were really, there was a lot of discussion about this. Is maybe we should let her uh, just see what happens for a little while. Yeah. I don't know. They get caught up on weird things, just like any players. Yeah. Um, back to Cody Hemming. Oh, <laughs> um, One of the things that I, I'm a little bit curious is, kind of touched on it a little bit, but does Cody Hemming mean that you get more prep done, or does it mean that you get to do more prep for, like, single bits and pieces? Like, when I'm doing prep, when we were playing around the table, my prep for encounters tended to be, like, go on Kobold Fight Club, figure out something that's level appropriate and is cool and has appropriate monsters for where they are, quickly figure out a map on graph paper, and then just, like, put a packet together. Because I've got, like, printed out monster cards and everything, so I can just be like, cool, that's this encounter in this spot in the map, and then I need to do another one, and that's that spot, and here's the boss. Cool. Like, I felt like I kind of had to get through it so that I could also plan out all of the story stuff. Do you guys find that you get to plan further ahead, or do you spend just more time planning just the next session? I think we have a tendency to plan a little further ahead, just by nature of, you know... Well, we're sitting on the couch together all the time, doing whatever, and you can't help it. So you are you are very similar to that kind of prep for our next day. Like, the next session is looks very much like that, but we can't help that while we're doing it, we come up with something that, oh, shoot, now we're totally derailed. Let's go... I'm really interested in that NPC that we talked about. We were doing a bunch of work and got distracted by, oh, maybe we'll do this with her, and... Then we follow her storyline and get really far into that, and then we got distracted, and we were like, "Let's rename all the gods. Let's do, <laughs> let's do something else in the world." And- we end up with a really rich world that only we know about. Um, but I think that it <laughs> so I, that yeah, I've actually it's actually something that at first I felt kind of bad about it because I'm like, I have spent so much time and effort on like I've I've got thousands of years of world history, like I've known the major events, and I've got a several pantheons and like cults and you know major battles and stuff like that stuff that unless i sat down and wrote it all out into a world guide nobody's ever going to know about but what i've found is is like when i played the star wars edge of the empire i'm a huge star wars nerd so i'm able to just you know riff and improvise star wars stuff off the top of my head no problem having done all of this backstory work it means that i can improvise stuff within the world that still makes sense and at least in makes internal sense to the story. And now I feel less bad about it because it means I don't have to worry about so much like, oh, uh, give me a second to think about why these two clans of whoever are, have this tiff. It's like, oh, yeah, it's this thing from back then. Yeah. It's like last week when they were talking about one of the characters says, where'd you come from? And they're asking these NPCs, the mayor and that his adjunct that were the head of this town in the swamps super suspicious that they would be running this town and they were of course right to investigate them hard and they wanted to know where they were from and then they talked about how well they came from Preludes, this other country that we'd already spent a bunch of time building because i did a nanorimo in it and we have another campaign there and all this sort of stuff so we were able to be like oh well that's because of the civil war and then matt they roll a history check and we can decide Based on that, how much info do you know about the Civil War? But luckily, we know lots about it. So you can just give a really rich history. Yeah, like, 
the elf who died, um, she decided she wanted to be a monk from a desert. I'm like, okay, well, there's these two major deserts in the world. And she decided she wanted to be from the other continent. So I'm like, okay, yeah, th- this is what the culture is like. You know, this is kind of like the, what I told her was like, think Egypt, but like with hints of Norse and lots of blue. <laughs> like, and it just like being able to like, because I spent all that time, like I could really quickly just be like, oh yeah, you, okay, this desert, cool. Here's a bunch of stuff that you need to know. And yeah. One of my favorite things about the world map that we built and gave to them in the beginning, we have this sort of standard, the world of Altero and where you're from and what kind of an age is it like right now and what kind of a world are you living in. But we sort of have these landmarks across the world. These are the natural wonders in all these places. And maybe you've traveled as a hero and you've seen these lightning storms here or these this, this fantastic library that's in this other place. And then there's the man-made things that... You, that you might know about in your world and having laid all of that stuff out just makes the whole place and everywhere you go and the people that are in it feel that much more real. And it's easier as yourself as a DM and all your players to lose yourself in and you get caught up in those little minor conflicts, but as a part of a bigger story. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't really bother me that they never get to see or hear most of this. Cause as far as I'm concerned, it's all there for, that random NPC encounter someday, maybe, you know, they'll hit someone and ask them a question and like, well, there we go. There's a bunch of stuff that can be drawn on. I think the thing that we get distracted by the most is like after a session, we go home and talk about, oh, those two characters that they interacted with, like those dwarves who were on the bridge that were causing, they were charging an outrageous toll to get across this bridge. And every time they would try to pay, they'd just be like, nope, it's now a double. You got to pay for the horse and the cart. And also, you have to pay for the other side. The other side, too. you got to pay both sides. So it's every time they would say something else. Because Joe's character, Hummingbird, doesn't care about money. And we were like, let's see how much money we can drain out of him before the the other couple people in the group are like, we need to rein this in. (laughs) Yeah. Turns out, a lot. A lot before... And they didn't have their... uh, That was one day where Ellen, uh, Matt, plays this character. Other Matt in our group plays a character named Ellen, who's the, the one who's out for treasure, this human fighter who left her home to find fame and fortune on the road. And so she's always really invested in where's the best treasure. And she wasn't there that night. Um, so if she'd been there, I mean, Matt would have just lost his mind, yeah. knowing that they were just draining through their gold. And, <laughs> and Hummingbird is just like, yes, whatever it takes. We'll cross, you know, just here out of the, take the whole bag. I don't care. Yeah. It was one of those nights where, like, only a small portion of the group can show so up. Four. So we had a regular, like... <laughs> Uh, sized group just like <laughs> oh crap you know we had a important story point that was supposed to happen today and then half the group is like we can't make it and we're like all right new story for the day uh someone wants his side quest and we've got our drunken master that's made really good friends with the the brewmaster of a monastery and so he was like i need some special hops that only grows it is it was like New hops for a beer. All right. That's the hook. There we go. <laughs> Off to find hops guarded by a basilisk for some reason. <laughs> and one of the things I found with having already come up with the backstory is that, like, yeah, you can come up with just, like, weird side quests if you need to. Or one of the things I found, because I want my players to know about some of the big stuff that's happening, is it becomes much easier to just drop random hints and bits and pieces and stuff like that. Yeah. I like the when the town we have like the rumors list of what's going on in town, and it's not always 
related to them at all. So when they go into town and they're just listening to what are these guys talking about? You know, what's the gossip in here? And everybody has different things and that they can be that's on their mind or what what are the whispers in this town? Yeah. And if it's totally unrelated to them, but it's also super exciting, they get distracted and interested. And yeah, and it's cool. fun because you know we've done writing in other parts of the world, so we know those bits, and they can just sort of filter in as legends and weird technology. They're in a pretty backwoods part of the world right now, so... Soon they will get to a real city. Yeah. <laughs> they need to spend Eventually, money. like, once they get to certain parts of the world, there's, you know, it, a little more sci-fi elements that we've brought in, but, like, they're starting in super classic fantasy right now, and as, as they get more powerful, yeah. there's... There are portals to an alternate sci-fi dimension of it that they'll start seeing, like, steampunky trains and stuff, and then the closer you get to it, the more high-tech, uh, but it's very tightly controlled by this one government that has access to it. And tons of stuff going on, the whole thing, that they haven't even started to, like... But, you know, drops and hints appear now, and uh, eventually they will get to go somewhere where they see that stuff firsthand and... Hopefully, it'll be pretty fun. But <laughs> They're really jelly now, and I don't know for you guys how long you find it takes to have a party get together that... When, I think once they named themselves, like once they had someone... The first time someone turns to them and says, what do we call you? Or they're, in this their case, they told one drunk guy outside of the bar. I actually did that very early on, because as part of... Basically, they're part of a mercenary group, and in the mer- in this mercenary guild... There's sword arms, which are groups of four or five people or who are basically adventuring parties. And I told them, like, they all tend to name themselves. So what are you guys named? Like, what have you guys been called? And they chose the Vanguard. So Sweet. And I've only been playing... Like, this is this campaign is my first time DMing. Uh, well, it, it was the first time the night when I started DMing. And I've been doing it for two and a half, three years now. It's been a while. Right. So I've done other stuff in between them, but when we started playing, I feel like they all gelled pretty quickly. So I, I think that was more just the people that I'm playing with just got along, which was nice. Our group gelled like that. I think what it is more is because, uh, you know, it was a large group because we had a bunch of people who were really new, is that those people are starting to, you know, the game is starting to gel for them. And that's just making, you know, they're getting more comfortable with role playing more and... Um, yeah, they're not as know. intimidated by just the there, dice. There was a fantastic sheets. moment where probably the newest person in our group, who's also the person that lost her character first, and so she came back. And I think it's actually that experience has allowed, gotten her more into the game, like the you know disappointment, but then excitement about making a new character. And I think she's really thrown herself into the new character even more. And so we had this great moment where everyone's causing a scene and they're about to maybe get arrested and her character was not part of the scene was off on the side and just standing in the dark with her hands up no one looking at her but like she felt compelled to like speak and let us know that this was going on not part of the action not part of anything and i was just like yes that's when it's all coming and people are embracing they're just like no i'm going to describe my action that doesn't affect anything (laughs) but just i this is what i'm doing like, I think like, my bunnies so, are getting so arrested. I'm across the street. I'll just put my hands in the air too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not me. Ah. She's awesome. It, groups gelling, I find, always completely depends on the group of people and like what goes, like what happens. Sometimes, like a really 
in-character traumatic, traumatic event early can really make a group gel. Sometimes, you know, if they've been playing together for years and years and it's just a new campaign for them, you know, it's right away. Sometimes it's, you know, some groups never gel. Even if it's the same set of players in a different campaign, it's, it's always interesting seeing when it happens mm-hmm. and how it happens. I feel like when I'm in the group that I was DMing with you, Hillary, Peter, like Yuga and Brooke was playing that um, it was this little group and you guys are committed to each other really quickly and there was just so much camaraderie um, in the weird girl stuff that you guys got up to, <laughs> wearing the goblin heads around um, as you left the caves. You know, <laughs> like you do. Like you do. Um, adopting every single wolf that you ran into. So, <laughs> the, we had a pack of wolves that followed us along. <laughs> yeah. There's one that's pregnant right now. It's crazy. It's like... It's weird. But, you know, you get up to whatever. That that group happened really fast. And then when it wasn't happening, when we were co-DMing, I was worried that it was us, you know, making it more difficult because there's the two of us and there's a lot happening and there was it's a really large group. And you have some players, everybody plays in their own way, and some players who want to sit back and just kind of watch it happen, but they're still having fun. And that's part of it, too, is checking in with everybody. Like, are you ha- still having fun, even though this is maybe a little bit of a different format because there's so many people you have to wait a long time in combat before it's your turn again and you have to if you're are you having fun if other people are sort of dominating some of the role play moments and so checking in with them all the time yeah it's hard to balance with a big group because everyone has their own reasons to play the game and we've gotten lucky with despite the fact that it's a big group everyone's pretty into the same parts of the game i'm oh my god i was just (laughs) <laughs> trying to think, like, is there a way that you could run one combat with two sets of initiative in parallel? And just think it's breaking my brain. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, but it's a lot. It's so much work. Well, and that's one thing. Like with co DMs, like it might be able to see something you might be able to work out. Like you got a group of eight people, you could have like four people in each track. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to. So I've played in an adventure like that. Uh, it was called a Mega Dungeon. It was. Three different tables with four DMs, one on each table and one who kind of went between them. And players sometimes would literally have to switch tables if something like... There's dragons involved, so there's lots of dragons here and people like randomly running and falling off waterfalls or onto a teleportation circle and winding up in other areas of the adventure. That is cool, though. Uh, That is super cool. It was really cool, and I imagine it was just so much work. And it was written by wizards, but like I can't even imagine running something Madness. like that yeah. yeah yeah if you could go back in time and tell each other or yourselves one thing that you think is really important about codying a game what would it be oh man i think probably the most important thing that we've learned that would have helped us at the beginning is uh how to prep differently than we do as our um when it's just ourselves and that the importance of the semi walkthrough that we do together where we just sort of go over characters wants and needs and goals and so that we have that we're on the same page with how everyone might respond to things and then we we have more of uh, an understanding of what direction we're going to go in improv with each character um, when they inevitably get thrown into situations that we had no way of seeing coming and have nothing prepared for. <laughs> I think I would probably go, if I go back in time, it would be that uh, that same thing you want to tell yourself all the time, but you can't because you're always going to stress out about it, but relax 
because if you're if they're having fun, you'll have fun and it'll be okay. But for the first couple of weeks, and we're <laughs> talking over each other a little bit, and we're trying to work, work figure it out, and uh, you know, you have that like, oh no, we looked like complete idiots <laughs> on that thing where. You were like, what are you doing? Uh, and the, I worried that the faces we're making at each other are giving away some of our uh, insecurity or concern. But I think if relax, everything is going well. And the important thing is that we're hanging out with our friends and no one's looked at their phone in the last three hours. Yeah. Oh, and, wow. And, and it turns out people, uh, you know, often don't really notice uh, when we think it's going crazy and we're just like... Looks are going, and no one, no one's paying attention. They're too busy trying to figure out what they're, what they're going to do and what's going on. And they're just like, "That went really great." And this game listening, we're like, "Yes, <laughs> all yeah. according to plan." Yeah, like, I think that's like the biggest thing that a DM has on their side is that the players are so willing to believe that everything went according to plan, even if you are silently inside your head screaming like a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like they just see, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's always funny when, you know, you have something planned and then it starts and you're like, I didn't think of the most obvious problem with all of this. And they, it's the first thing they want to do. And you're just like, okay, new plan in the head. We're like, this was all all good all the time. Like, this was always the plan. What are you talking yeah, about? You know, like, oh, you have a cart with you. Damn it! I thought you were on foot entirely. <laughs> like, I totally forgot there's horses and stuff there. Good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait for the moment that I forget my play- the resources my players have. They have a flying tower and have griffins that are being trained. Oh my! <laughs> and it's just like one day I'm gonna forget, and they're gonna be like, "Yeah, we fly the tower there." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> So much, uh, thanks so much for coming on. I can speak English. Um, is there anything you guys want to plug? Yeah, um, we have a YouTube channel that we do called, well, the channel's called Squirrels of Doom, but our overarching stuff, but our, our favorite little thing that we're working on right now is Drinking with Geeks. It's a YouTube series that we do um, focusing on different kinds of cocktails and pop culture, history, and science. So With the know. drinks. With, with the drinks, so you know why uh, why why do egg whites make a good cocktail, and like what do they do scientifically? But also, why is recently we did one with the tequila sunrise, and like when it was invented, but also earlier ones. And turns out the tequila sunrise was popularized by the Rolling Stones, whose 1971 tour they dubbed the Cocaine and Tequila Sunrise tour, and that's kind of how the world got to know the tequila sunrise. Or today we were playing with a blue gin that has a pigment in it that changes color by pH. So if you add your lemon juice, it changes from blue to purple. But we also uh, did a review today of um, for another sort of mini-series that we're starting with this uh, called Dungeons and Flagons, where we review beers and wines and things that uh, are appropriate for bringing to your game night. Uh, you know, based on how good is... You know, the the pun quality of the name, um, <laughs> how fantasy-ish and D&D-ish is the label, how, how good is the actual drink, and uh, And then uh, percentage so the first of one was Fuggles and Warlock. <laughs> Gotta do something from them. We like to do more of that because we do, Matt does um, work with spirits at the liquor store. So, of course, we see so many cool labels when we go in and do stuff and... We want to bring stuff to the game, and we do that a lot. And then we thought, well, let's show some of these off since we're already making 
videos about cocktails and stuff anyway. That's pretty Super awesome. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Is there any social media or anything you want people to be aware of? Um, I'm Squirrels of Doom on Twitter, so you can come follow me. And, uh, and I will share pictures of minis I've painted. Yeah, and you can follow <laughs> Squirrels of Doom on Instagram as well, where See we post lots of, of pictures of cocktails and other random stuff we're up to. Cool. Cool. Thank you guys so much for having us. This is super fun and getting a chance to chat about all your nerdy hobbies is so fun. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Our art is done by Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver or at Jesse the Red or at Sean P. Hagan. And we've got a Patreon. We're trying to save up to get better equipment. Please help. Yes, that would be very nice. Other than that, we um, if you like the show, please give us a review and rating and all of that on the iTunes store. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>